Have you ever felt stuck before? Like stuck in life? I think most of us probably have had that feeling at some point or another. A feeling of no hope, of being discontent. You wake up in the morning and it's maybe hard to get out of bed. Maybe it was a bad day, or maybe a bad season, or maybe you felt stuck for quite a while. Maybe you felt stuck in a relationship before. You're in a rut. Maybe things used to be good, but they're not so good anymore. You're unhappy. You just don't know if there's a way for you to get out of this situation. Or maybe you felt stuck in a job before. You're surfing job sites every second that you get. You can't wait to get to retirement or to switch jobs. You just feel like there's no way out. I was in a job once, and my wife will tell you, uh, it was like incredibly hard for me to even get off the couch. Now, don't worry, it wasn't this job. But no, that feeling of being stuck, I think it's a real reason that a lot of us experience. What if I told you I don't believe that that is what God wants for you? Feeling stuck. I realize I just presented a lot of different possible scenarios and situations, but what if you've just been going through the motions in life, you've been living on default, and the Holy Spirit would say to you today, there is a better way that you could live your life by design, that God actually has a meaning for your life that's filled with purpose. And the series that we're in, Designing Your Life, is all about this idea. And so good morning to those of you here at the Mount Pleasant campus. Glad you're brave in the cold uh, to be with us today. Uh, those of you who are gathered in Alma, good morning to you. Miss seeing your faces today, but excited to, to be with you virtually. And also to the growing number of people that are gathered online, hundreds of individuals and families uh, are worshiping with us in, online. We are so glad that you're here with us as we're digging into this Designing Your Life series. And uh, of course, there are exceptions to the rule, but most people if left to themselves, live their lives by default, or they end up in default mode. Now, most of us find ourselves, if we're not intentional about it, on the path of least resistance. I've got two teenage boys at home, and you want to talk about the path of least resistance. Uh, they, they embody that, and their dad is worse than them most of the time. And so here we are at the start of a new year. How can you move from default mode to design mode, because God has something so much better for you than just going through the motions and feeling stuck. You know, as we move through this series, our, uh, our hope is to look at real people from the Bible, and each week there's a case study that will illuminate areas of our own lives where we need to grow or shift or gain a new godly mindset. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Allen kicked us off and looked at Adam, who was the original man, God's design for him in all areas of his life. And then last week, uh, we looked at the life of Solomon, who was blessed with all sorts of incredible gifts and resources and wisdom, except certain areas of his life that were contrary to what God wanted for him. This next week, we're going to look at the life of a guy named Timothy, who started off uh, young and passive, uh, not necessarily a, a leader material, and gets developed into an incredible, bold leader in the early church. 
And this week, we are looking at an amazing couple from the New Testament. Our case study today is a husband and wife who were leaders in the early church named Priscilla and Aquila. And this couple, they're not incredibly well known. In fact, you may not have heard the names Priscilla and Aquila before. Uh, in fact, they're only mentioned in five relatively brief passages in the Bible. An account in the book of Acts that we're going to look at today and several other greetings in other New Testament books. So we're going to open up our Bibles today to Acts chapter 18 uh, to look at their story. And uh, we'll see some designs that God has for you from the lives of Aquila and Priscilla. Acts 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath, he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks." So here in Acts 18, we're introduced to this couple, and they're married. They're originally living in Rome. Uh, they're tent makers by trade, by all accounts, completely common. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Priscilla and Aquila were a completely normal couple. And you know what I love about Priscilla and Aquila? You don't hear about one without the other. In fact, every reference in the Bible refers to them together, both names, husband, and wife. They, they just go together, kind of like Sonny and Cher or peanut butter and jelly. It's not just the dominant male leader in this situation, and it's not that, that the male leader is overshadowed by a strong female leader. They are co-leaders here in the early church. I think it's a beautiful picture of what marriage is actually meant to be, a man and wife on mission together, both pursuing God's purpose together. And at the start of chapter 18 and verse 1, it begins with, after this. So anytime you see a, a word or a phrase like that in the Bible, it means that there was something that happened before this. Right before this, in Acts chapter 17, it, it gives an account of Paul. And Paul, who is uh, an incredible leader in the early church, is going out and sharing the message of the gospel uh, with those that are outside of the Jewish uh, faith or tradition. Um, he is in Athens, and in Athens he finds uh, a city where they love to worship all sorts of false gods, all sorts of idols. In fact, they have all of these places where they worship these other gods, and they even have a location where they worship an, an, or a god of an unknown name. And if you read through it, Paul does an incredible job of taking that and sharing the gospel with them and said, let me tell you about this God that you do not know. He has this, this beautiful way of sharing about the truth of Jesus. But then it comes to the end, and it says that some believed but many scoffed. Imagine for Paul, it says that he immediately leaves Athens after this happens. I have to imagine it didn't go the way that Paul wanted it to. You know, he, he may have even left that situation coming into where we're going to approach him in, in Corinth feeling a bit of failure. And around the same time, the emperor of Rome, he's expelling all of the Jews from the region. And so Priscilla, the wife, is a Roman, but Aquila, the text says explicitly, is a Jew. And we don't know exactly why the emperor made this decision. In fact, scholars have a number of different ideas, but this decree leads to Priscilla and Aquila having to leave Rome. They have to leave their homes. 
They leave their trade and their business. Their lives are upended, and they end up going to Corinth in this kind of crazy circumstance. I'm sure they didn't know exactly where they were going. Their lives were uprooted. I imagine for them, they felt like it was stress and chaos all around them. It led to questions like, where will we live? Should we continue our trade, or should we find something new? Now, what would the default have been in this situation for Priscilla and Aquila? You know, I think the default definitely would not have been a sense of stability or a sense of peace. In fact, the default in a situation where your life just gets uprooted is often stress, stress on the relationship that leads to fights and anger. But where Priscilla and Aquila likely had big questions, God had a plan. Where they didn't see an answer, God was at work. And he used this season, these conditions, to position this couple significantly in the early church. And so here's a big idea as we begin to look at the lives of Priscilla and Aquila. God uses difficult circumstances to advance his plans. This is a truth. God uses difficult circumstances to advance his plans. The situations around us may seem like they're absolutely awful. Maybe a marriage that's falling apart. Maybe consequences from decisions that you've made in the past that are still dealt with in legal problems. Maybe the feeling of losing a job. Maybe a loved one who is sick, a cancer diagnosis, or losing a loved one. You know, these situations that we would never choose for ourselves, God may use a difficult season in your life to lead you to the place where you need to be. And so if you are in this room today, if you're watching online, if you're at the Alma campus and you're walking through something incredibly challenging right now, I just want to encourage you to tell you that God has a plan for you. That often the default in those, search, in those situations can often be this, this sense of being a victim of circumstance, that I can't control what's happening around me, this, this feeling of being stuck, like there's no way out and all I want to do is run. Uh, maybe the default is to feel sorry for yourself, but that is not what God wants for you. God has not left you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. You know, in this life, you are guaranteed to struggle. There's sometimes this incorrect view that we can have that if I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, if I'm, if I'm honoring God and I'm, I'm doing all the things that I know that, he, that I should be doing, then everything's going to be easy. But that could not be further from the truth. In fact, Jesus says in John, 6, 6, uh, John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble, you will have trouble but then he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Trust that God's design is to walk with you, to carry you through, to teach you something, to, to develop something in you, and ultimately to lead you to a place that is part of his perfect plan. You may not see it right now, but you should believe it. You can trust it. And so Priscilla and Aquila are coming to Rome. Paul is coming from Athens. And this is the setting for Priscilla and Aquila's meeting with Paul. And as they meet, they both happen to be tent makers. I'm not sure exactly where they meant, met. If there was maybe a tent makers convention happening in Corinth, the Bible doesn't actually tell us that. But they get connected. 
And God had a plan for Paul's life. God also had a plan for Priscilla and Aquila's life. And both of those plans led to Corinth. And all of it happened in the midst of uncertainty. All of it happened in the midst of a little bit of chaos. And this is the setting for our case study today. And so looking at the lives of Aquila and Priscilla, there are four ways I want to look at where you can be more intentional in the way that God designed you to live. So the first thing that we can pull from this is that we're designed to invest in relationships. You were meant to invest in significant relationships. When Priscilla and Aquila first meet Paul, it says the first thing that they do is they show him hospitality. They invite him into their homes. And, and again, we just went over, they weren't established. They were actually in a bit of uh, maybe a crazy season themselves. It wasn't convenient for them, but they opened their home. And this wasn't a situation where, you know, Priscilla and Aquila had an extra bedroom off the back of the house. Like more than likely, they had a 100 square foot uh, space that they lived in, and that's what they invited him, him in. And it wasn't like they said, hey, Paul, uh, you can crash for the weekend on the couch. Uh, it was over a year that Paul stays with them, 18 months. And over that period of time, they had access to Paul, this, this kind of the, the lead, one of the big leaders, the big names in the church. They were discipled by Paul. No doubt God used this interaction to develop them as leaders, as we'll see in a few minutes. You know, when our boys were little, uh, we uh, moved out of our starter home, which was pretty small, uh, to say the least, and we, we bought a house that had a little bit extra room, uh, and our hope was dreaming of all the different potential uses for that space. Uh, and for the first couple of years, we had some extra bedrooms in the house that weren't being used, and so we invited college students from the church uh, to come uh, stay with us, to actually live with us uh, over that period of time. And it was incredible uh, to be able to, you know, have this kind of sense of access where they would be with us and they would see, of course, all the good things of what it meant to be part of a godly family. Uh, they unfortunately also got to see, you know, kind of the messy parts, uh, you know, areas where we, we messed up. But you had this kind of life-on-life -life relationship, this access. It was uh, a level of relationship that you can't just uh, manufacture, and then a few years ago, a few years later, we, we felt called to be foster parents. And we've invited kids from, from hurting homes, tough situations to come be part of our family. And eventually that led us uh, to being able to adopt um, our, our daughters who are now ours in February of 2020, right before COVID. But when we became foster parents, you know, it was this wonderful thing. Uh, it was a missional thing. But it was also an incredibly challenging thing. You know, coming out of that season, it's now been a number of years, my wife and I were looking back and just realizing how, it, you know, it kind of caused us to have this inward focus to kind of, you know, get into survival mode. We, we fell out of the habit of regular connection. And so this year, my wife and I were praying about what are our goals for 2022? Uh, what are they, the, the things we want to set for this next year? And one of our goals was to invest more intentionally in relationships. Because it wasn't happening by default. In fact, we had fallen out of the habit, I think, of regularly having people in our homes. And so we've set a night of the week. Uh, we've set a number, a goal of number of people that we're hoping to be able to invite over because our default is not to be connected and we want to be more intentional. You know, we're blessed in the church that there are so many people who just have the gift of hospitality. 
And these people aren't hard to spot. They're people who automatically are inviting people over to, to do life with them. What an incredible gift the gift of hospitality is. God has uniquely designed you, if you have that gift, to connect with other people. Would you use that in the life of the body of Christ to be able to invest in relationships? And over these last couple years of COVID, it has become incredibly hard to stay connected with other people. So maybe for you, you were in a good gear of investing in relationships, but you've fallen out of a rhythm. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be wise about the right decisions for your family, but what I am saying is to not use what we're walking through as an excuse to live isolated. Don't neglect what it means to be in relationship with other people, particularly in the body of Christ. Invest in relationships. Later in Acts 18, Paul is leaving Corinth, and he actually takes Priscilla and Aquila with him. And they say that they come to Ephesus, which is another location for one of the the primary early churches, and Paul goes on, and Priscilla and Aquila stay back. We can see from their actions that from their time with Paul, Priscilla and Aquila have the confidence and the tools that they need to continue to be part of growing the church in Ephesus. That the, the investment that Paul has had in their lives and that mutual sense of relationship has allowed them to reproduce and to do what they saw Paul do. So here's the second design for your life. You were designed to build the church. So Paul has taught them And now he's putting them to work. There's an expectation there. Their job wasn't done after Paul left. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila were actually needed to sustain this young and growing church in Ephesus. I think this applies to us. The church needs you. At different times over my lifetime, even before I was on ministry or working in a church, It just blows me away that God in his infinite power and his infinite capacity for some reason chooses people like us to lead and to be part of and to build one of the most important things to him, the body of Christ. The church needs you. So the fact that you're here, either here at the Mount Pleasant campus, gathered in Alma, watching online, we are so excited that you are part of this church. Like you, this church would not be what it is without you as a part of it. But if so far, your complete experience of church is coming, you know, experiencing it for an hour, and then walking out until the next week, You're missing the way that God designed the church to function. Church is not a spectator activity. You know, when you give your life to Christ, the the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes and takes up residence inside of you, and that the fullness of that Spirit actually gifts you for the purpose of the common good. And so each of you are gifted uniquely to be able to serve and build the church. And that expression of the Holy Spirit looks different for every person. Every single one of you have been given a gift by God. Learn what your gifts are. Use your gifts. If you need help figuring out what that is, visit the info center after service. Find a spot. What are your gifts? And how can you use them to build the mission of the church? Now, that is the way that the church is actually meant to function. It's not just meant for us to watch. 
And when you use your gifts to build the church, now I am confident I can share stories with you. That is when you begin to understand your purpose by design by God. The purpose that God designed you for. Let's jump ahead to verse 24. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. And so we're introduced to this, uh, this new individual, Apollos, and he comes to Ephesus, and he's another communicator. He, he's a leader. Uh, he's charismatic. Where he's going, it seems like there's a following that's around him. In fact, he's, he's referred to in several other spots in the New Testament, and he gets a following, Apollos is a big deal, but it says that he only knew at this point the baptism of John, and it's speaking of John the Baptist. So Apollos is gaining a bit of a following. He's a leader in the early church. He understood repentance, but he didn't understand the fullness of the gospel. He didn't fully understand what Jesus' death and resurrection meant. In short, Apollos, at this point in time, his theology was incomplete. Continuing in verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home, and they explained to him the way of God more adequately. And so Apollos is teaching boldly. I mean, he's obviously got some gifts to where he's, he's, he's uh, you know, teaching people about Jesus. And I imagine Priscilla and Aquila, as leaders in the church, are standing in the back. And they're just nodding their heads. And they're getting excited about, you know, all these things that he's saying. But then they wince. And, and he, he says something wrong. But their first reaction is that they see his passion. They see his gifting. They see that he's enthusiastic for God. And so they quietly take him aside afterwards. And they begin to communicate to him the fullness of what the gospel really means. These leaders, Priscilla and Aquila, begin to fill in the blanks for Apollos. The word that we use in church to describe what they did for him, it was the same thing that Paul did for them. They discipled him. So here's a third design for your life. As you mature in Christ, as you grow up, you now have a responsibility to disciple leaders. Think of this story in a modern context. Priscilla and Aquila, they they heard Apollo saying something that maybe was a little bit off, a little bit wrong, and they didn't jump on social media and blast him on Twitter. They didn't talk behind his back and, you know, like try to get him ousted out of that place. They didn't write a strongly worded email to Pastor Allen. They quietly took him aside and they taught him correctly. You know, the story also shows the humility of Apollos, who probably could have said, like, who are you guys? You're you're tent makers. Like, why, why are you talking to me about this? But there's this ability where they're able to actually make him a better leader through relationship. I don't think this is often our default. You know, what's our default when we are in a situation like this one with Apollos? We hear something that we don't like or agree with, and how often is our first reaction to be critical? You know, when you, when you hear something that you don't like, what's your next impulse? Do you point the finger? Do you get angry? Is your default to speak badly about that person, or do you leave and disappear? What should be our design? 
It, it should be that I'm not going to tear down this person, this brother or sister in Christ. Instead, I'm going to think, how can I help this person? How can I see the best in this person? How can I recognize their raw gifts? I can bless this person. You know, as, as someone who is invested in the body of Christ, I can put my arm around them and help them grow. The call to disciples starts with having a non-critical heart, a humble heart that recognizes the raw gifts in others and works to guide them to a better, fuller understanding of their design. I think there's a definite contrast between criticism, tearing someone down, and mentoring or discipling and building someone up. As we grow in Christ, we are designed We're meant to, in the church, to disciple other leaders. And so if you've been in church for a while, you know, if you would say that years of following Jesus have given you experiences and moments and times that you would say, you know, I have matured through this process, you have a responsibility to have part in raising up other leaders in the family of God. Here at Community Church, that happens most often in groups. And I can just tell you from, from years of being around these leaders, we have some incredible group leaders in this church. But it has been particularly challenging to lead groups, to disciple others through COVID. And for a lot of different reasons, many groups have, have had to take breaks, have tried to keep going, they've, they've tried to launch again and struggled. And, and right now, here we are at the start of another group season, and there is a particular need for leaders. And so maybe you've been in a group for a long time and you've had a leader that's discipled you and you've been in a relationship with someone where they've, they've built you up and now maybe the time where you say, you know what, I am going to in turn invest in other people. Or maybe you have been a discipler in the past and you poured in and you pushed and you led a group, but then you led to a season where you're saying, like, I just need a rest, I need a break, which was good and healthy, but now you're in a place of saying, it's time to get back in the game. Would you ask God how he may be leading you to contribute to one of the most important ministries, one of the most important actions in the capital C church, raising up disciples, raising up people who know what it means to love and follow Jesus more fully? Helping people discover their design. That's what we see Priscilla and Aquila doing. They're investing in relationships. They're building the church. They're discipling leaders. And here is our final design modeled by this couple. Priscilla and Aquila were willing to step out of comfort. In Romans 16, Paul is writing about Priscilla and Aquila. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. And not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. I love it uses this word co-workers. You know, sometimes that's a phrase that we just use somewhat flippant. But Paul means it to mean something significant. My co-laborers, my fellow workers, my partners in mission. Paul, Paul is calling them out. They, they impacted Paul in the same way that Paul impacted them. And you just see his gratefulness for the continued work of the church that is happening through them. Priscilla and Aquila, who risked their lives for me. We don't know the exact situation that he's referring to, but here is the action. Priscilla and Aquila were willing to step out of comfort. And they took a risk for the gospel. They left comfort behind and they took risks 
When is the last time that you took a risk for the gospel? You know, realizing the impact that you can have. When was the last time that you felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit to, to talk to someone, to, to ask someone if you could pray for them, and you weren't really sure how it would go or how they would receive it, but you took a risk for the name of Jesus? When was the last time you started a conversation with someone that you felt maybe moved by God to be able to have or to address a certain situation or circumstances to speak life into them? When did you take a risk for Jesus? Brothers and sisters, we cannot stay comfortable. In fact, I think there are many ways that God is looking to push us out. One of the greatest enemies to us living by God's design is comfort. So be uncomfortable. It doesn't look good on a pamphlet. It doesn't look good on a wall. But that is what I want for every single one of us. If your faith has never made you uncomfortable, there might be something more for you. You're surrounded every day by people with no hope, with no realization of eternity. You're surrounded by people with no understanding of their purpose or God's plan for their lives. I had a conversation recently with someone who had just recently started praying, asking God for opportunities for them to be able to take a risk uh, for the sake of the gospel, for opportunities to share their faith. And they were so excited. In fact, they had started praying this prayer, uh, and they didn't automatically connect the dots People around them started just opening up and being way too vulnerable, sharing way too much information in line at the store, uh, in their family, you know, neighbors, people at work, and they didn't know what was going on. And then suddenly they realized it was exactly what they had asked God for. And it was just incredible to see these connections that were taking place. This person wasn't in ministry. They weren't trained in seminary. But they asked God humbly for opportunities to represent him, to be an ambassador for him, even if it made them uncomfortable. What a dangerous prayer. What would it be like if every day you woke up in the morning and, you know, after being overflowed with thankfulness and gratefulness to God for another day, you woke up and asked God, how can I serve you today? What risks can I take? And I can promise you that's a dangerous prayer because the Holy Spirit will give you opportunities. He'll put something in your heart or in your mind of a person that you need to forgive. Or maybe a situation that you're not even aware of and you need to reach out to that person. I believe that if you ask that, that God will give you divine appointments. Take a risk and a step of faith and risk something. This is the opposite of the feeling of being stuck like we talked about earlier. I love the story of Priscilla and Aquila because it shows that the kingdom of God needs tent makers. Priscilla and Aquila didn't write any books to the Bible. As far as we know, they didn't do any miracles. But the same spirit that was inside them was the same spirit that was inside Paul. It was the same spirit that was made available to us on the cross. And it's the same spirit that's inside of you. You are called and equipped, and you are each uniquely designed to take part. And so we've said this before, you don't go to church. You are the church. Your identity as a Christian doesn't change when you leave the building or when you click offline. 
You know, you think about the office. When you go into the office on Monday, the church is at work. When you're at a desk, when you're meeting with a client, when you're in line at the store, wherever you are, you are on mission every day. And you don't need a title. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to go overseas to be a missionary. You can be a missionary right where you are. It is the complete opposite of being stuck. You were designed for so much more. So as we get ready to close today, I want to finish with a single question. Where does God have you positioned right now? Where does God have you at this moment? Maybe a place that you felt stuck or like, you know, asking God, why am I here? Maybe that is a place that God is calling you to have purpose and meaning in 2022. How can you step into building and being a part of the church in an even greater level of servanthood this year? And is it possible that God has you in a dark place so that you can shine light into that dark place? That place where you felt stuck, you have the opportunity to be light this year, this week, today. You know, as the people of God, we don't just run from darkness, we shine into darkness. In fact, darkness is just the absence of light. Friends, the kingdom of God needs you. So if you feel comfortable, would you just close your eyes right now? would you just ask God, God, where do you have me right now uniquely? God, where have you positioned me? God, where is my mission field? Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's a a friendship or a relationship that exists outside your family. Maybe it's in the workplace. God, where do you have me? And here's the second part, God, what would you call me to do? How do you want me to be light? Where are you at work around me and in what ways do you want me to speak your words into existence, words of purpose and meaning and design to people who desperately need it? God, how would you use me? Right now here in the space, God, I just pray for your your spirit to be at work amongst your people. God, for those who are gathered here in Mount Pleasant, those that are gathered in Alma, those that are listening to my voice online across Central Michigan and beyond. Holy Spirit, would you move among us in such a way that we would say, God, you are so great. God, you are more than enough for us. God, as a result of the grace that you've shown us, we just want to extend that grace to other people. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So your everyday life has purpose by design. Now go out and be light.